Hey, welcome to Conversations on the Co-Mission, a podcast where we're talking about the topics, the trends, and the issues and missions that impact both missionaries and the churches that partner with them. My name is Tony Balava. With me today is Stephen Madoff. Well, hey there, Tony. It is great to be back in the recording studio with you. And we are honored today with another guest to join us in the booth. Yeah. And it's always so cool when we have someone come in and join us. Just It adds some flavor to the mix here of uh, <laughs> what we cover and the topics we talk about and allows us to mm-hmm. really, I think, learn from others. Yeah, like Their experience mm-hmm. is quite different than ours in many ways, mm-hmm. and so it's great to hear from them. We have with us today a uh, one of our BIMI missionaries, mm-hmm. a gentleman by the name of Chase Rooks. And Chase is with us. I'm going to let Chase kind of introduce himself, what he's doing, and Chase, go on and just kind of Share with folks who you are. Thanks, brother. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I'm Chase Rooks and uh, grew up in a pastor's home uh, out in Kansas, Midwest. And so just kind of a, you know, out in the middle of nowhere there. But, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a great place and uh, heard a lot about God and Bible, came to know Christ at an early age. And um, the Lord really began to work in my heart about missions um, when I had a visiting missionary come in um, to West Africa, actually. Mm. And he began to write me letters. That's something that was really just kind of amazing, the impact in my life. Um, went to Bible college. Uh, then the Lord moved me to work at a church in Alabama for about four and a half years as an assistant pastor. Felt like God wanted me to get some uh, assistant work there before I do- dove into um, foreign seas work. Um, and then after that, we went on a missions trip over to South Africa um, in 2019. The Lord began to stir up my heart, and um, now, uh, just a year ago, I took a trip over to North Africa, and that's where the Lord's called me to be a missionary. And just really excited. There's a great need over there, and um, looking forward to what the Lord's going to do. Well, he's, mm. hit all, he's hit North, West, <laughs> South. Didn't go to East Africa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll say this about Chase. Probably our BIMI missionaries, he's probably the guy with the best beard in BIMI. <laughs> like, it is just yeah, one of the coolest ones. So, well, Chase, you are going to North Africa. And, yes, sir. Yeah. And that is, uh, well, why don't you describe a little bit about North Africa? The, when people think of Africa, they think of it just kind of like this one lump kind of nation. It's, it's always like <laughs> yeah. any other place you're going to. Oh, I'm going to Germany or I'm going to Thailand. And then people are like, I'm going to Africa. Well, that's a continent. And there's so many different, like 60-something countries in it. But nobody ever identifies the countries. Uh, but tell us about North Africa. Kind of explain that region and what makes it different than other parts of Africa. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, North Africa is primarily uh, Islamic. And so there's a lot of just heavy influence uh, from Islam. Um, it's a lot different as far as even in just like geographically, like uh, you're, you know, whenever you see pictures from Africa, you think of like elephants and lions and all this stuff like that. But it's not really that way in North Africa. You've got more camels and because the Sahara Desert runs through there. And so it's a, it's a lot different. The people are different. Um, there's a lot more Arab influence, obviously, from Islam. And so it's, it's a lot. It's got its own feel, a lot more kind of like the Middle East. Uh, more than other parts of Africa that you would think of. Being so heavily influenced in uh, by Muslims and, and such and really being close kind of to Middle East and Middle Eastern culture, um, you're going to have to do what we call creative access. Mm-hmm. And um, talk a little bit about the challenges of, of being a missionary to a 
people have already recognized we haven't mentioned the name of a country. For those who thought Africa was a country, we apologize. <laughs> and, um, but we haven't mentioned that. So, uh, and that's on purpose because you're going to a creative access, what we would call creative access nation. And so tell us a little bit about what that means and maybe some of the challenges involved, even now on deputation, raising support, some of the things that you have to do. Uh, I noticed in uh, chases at uh, our churches where we attend here in Chattanooga area, uh, he's in our missions conference, and I noticed that they changed the schedule on purpose um, to kind of accommodate your presentation and your part in the missions conference. I think that was because of Creative Access Nation. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a great question, Brother Tony. Um, For those of you listening who might not know what a Creative Access country is, basically there are certain parts of the world that because of the government and because of uh, persecution, um, people are not allowed to go in as a labeled missionary. Um, obviously, that doesn't change what the person is doing. The Bible talks about how that we're to be a witness of Jesus Christ. You're still preaching the gospel, but you can't get a visa that stamps and say, hey, I'm a missionary to mm-hmm. be able to go in. They're not going to let you in. And mm-hmm. so you've got to think of another way creatively uh, with the Lord's help to be able to go into a country like that. Um, so a lot of times what you'll find is people that are going to these places in the world, uh, they're found in the 1040 window, primarily in Northern mm-hmm. Africa, Middle East, in some parts of uh, Southeastern Asia, and you'll find that they have to enter in using some kind of work visa. So maybe they're starting a business or um, having English as a second language Mm -hmm. um, and teaching in a school there um, or or other things. I've heard of some people doing uh, non-government organizations and humanitarian aid, and that's all just a a platform to be able to get people into the country so that they can preach the gospel. Again, the purpose isn't changed, you know. Um, You know, for example, for me, I'm not going to be going to another country just so I can teach English or to start a business or something like that. It's just a, a, a means for me to be able to get in to uh, share the gospel in a way that would be legal. It'd be a little bit more under wraps, but uh, so that's why we have to be a little bit careful. As far as trying to communicate that with churches, it, it is a little challenging sometimes um, because not all the churches understand really the severity of impact that that has. Um, personally, then also on people that are over there. Um, I'm grateful that the Lord's opened the door for me to be able to work with some other people um, in Northern Africa, but um, I have to be very careful um, because if I say something or a church puts something online, um, it could greatly hinder um, the work that is not only of me getting into the country, but those that are there in the country. Um, in fact, I'm not going to go into details, but I've just been in communication with one of my missionary friends, and there's a, a Christian believer who has been heavily persecuted right now in the area I'm going to be going. Um, he was just thrown in jail because he um, won his sister to Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, you just think there's a, there's a really uh, great need in this part of the world because a lot of people aren't willing to be able to go um, and do that. And so it, it certainly has a lot of unique uh, things to it, but I hope that kind of... Uh, opens up the understanding a little bit more about creative access countries. As, as you speak about that, I, I think of even first world countries. There are first world countries where you can't go into that nation as a missionary. They're, they're not going to give you a visa because you're a missionary. In fact, there are first world countries that I am very well aware of that will deny you access if you use the word missionary. But they're not going to necessarily 
you're not going to face necessarily persecution once you're inside the country if you function as a missionary. Hmm. Uh, they're going to maybe give you a different title, um, maybe you know, spiritual advisor or religious leader or something like that. The, the term missionary is offensive to some first world countries. But when we talk about creative access and, and in your area of the world, there is a real, not just this, I might not get in the country, but if hmm. I do get in the country and get found out, then there's some danger on yes. that side, yes. real physical danger as well. Is that true? Yes, that's correct. Um, and, you know, and it, and it kind of depends on where that comes from. You know, persecution, they say, is on several different levels, uh, government persecution. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also social persecution. So although the government might not come in and do something bad, but the people and their family would. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of different levels. Um, people that are like that in that part of the world who come to know Christ as their Savior, oftentimes they lose their job. They're mm-hmm. disowned from their families. In fact, there's mm-hmm. a friend of mine who... Um, is a faithful uh, believer in the Lord, and he only has one job that he was able to get. is the only one that anyone would hire him for, and they're working him like a dog 17 hours a day uh, every day of the mm. week um, just because it's the only thing that he has available to him. Mm. Um, so it, it certainly poses a lot of different um, issues that you know are very uncommon to us as Americans. Well, I can definitely kind of relate because, as you mentioned, Southeast Asia mm. has a very similar idea of a lot of closed nations got to be created to access into those countries. So we have missionaries that, you know, BIMI won't list on their website. We don't, we try to maintain a very low uh, social media presence, mm. online presence, so on and so forth, because we're very keenly aware of the potential. But I would dare say that not every church is going to be as sensitive to that. Mm. They're just excited they have a missionary. (laughs) They're excited. They want to put your prayer letter online. They want to just, (laughs) you know, put their missionary family online and so on and so forth. So how do you handle that? Because it is a world away from what the average person in a church is, is understanding. So how, is that a conversation you have to have with them to go, hey, look, I'm so glad to be a part of your missionary family, but... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, you know, a lot of churches, thankfully there are more churches I've noticed that are paying attention to things like this, uh, with the growth of missionaries that are going to that part of the world. But as a good rule of thumb, you know, one thing I always try to do is communicate with the pastor, um, because in light of COVID, we've had a lot of more churches live stream and stuff. So they automatically just, everything's live streamed. Well, my uh, my ministry presentation can't be online. Um, in the sense of like social media or Facebook, that kind of thing. So you say, hey, brother, you know, are you guys live streaming your service? And then comes like, oh, yeah, you know, is that is that okay? And it's like, well, actually, I don't think we're, you know, it'd be best and safest not to do it. Um, one thing that I found out um, that the Lord's really helped us with is that a lot of pastors have been willing to let me preach, but then show the missionary presentation after the invitation. And so mm-hmm. we'd like completely cut everything off the live stream, and then we just do it for the folks that are physically present. And that's been kind of a, a, a good way that pastors have been able to meld with that um, problem. But even just recently, I was at a conference and, and had forgot to mention something to the pastor. And so they've, you know, I've got to get back in contact with them because it is a real, it is a real threat and danger for sure. And, and I know 
you know, some someone may think, oh, come on, like one church in the middle of the United States that you're in a meeting, who really is going to find it? Mm-hmm. But I can tell a, a story of one of the missionaries that we have on deputation going to Southeast Asian nation that we don't disclose online and things of that nature. He did his presentation. Someone put it online. And a bunch of people from that nation he's going to somehow found it. And they all commented on like the YouTube or Facebook. And they were saying like, we're going to, we're going to bring your name to the attention of the authorities and such. Now, nothing came of it, but it was a very real thing of a church in a city, just putting their online thing and they streamed it. And next, you know, someone from overseas did find it. And it then became where a bunch of those folks were spread. And so people were just bombarding and commenting and commenting mm, and commenting. Yeah. And uh, so we really had to work hard to try to get it all pulled down and everything. So it is, it's not just a delusional concern that you have. It mm. is a very mm-hmm. real yes. concern right, that's sir. out there. Right. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, at the beginning, Chase, as you were giving your testimony, you made a comment that maybe p- people didn't even catch fully, but you have shared this testimony with me and uh, my family, and, and that was how a missionary impacted you mm-hmm. at a really young age. And uh, I think you said he stayed in your home, if I, or maybe he was in your missions conference just began to write you letters to encourage you about missions and such. I know that that is something that you do, that you like have picked that up and, and have kind of run with that ball yourself. In yes, fact, sir. for pastors who are listening, I'm not trying to sell Chase Rooks. Chase Rooks will sell Chase Rooks just because of who he is, honestly. <laughs> uh, but one of, our, one of our church members came to me um, Sunday morning and he said, Man, that Chase Rooks texted me and said, hey, what time does the bus run? I want to be on the bus route if I'm allowed to uh, this morning. And it's obvious that that made an impact in your life and you're carrying that on. And and talk a little bit about how uh, on deputation, you, that ministry of, because of, uh, I know it's one of your burdens. We've had the privilege to work together in other times and uh, to see others called to mm-hmm. and answer the call to mission. So talk about how you're using your, mission, your deputation ministry to ask the Lord to, to raise up more laborers. Yes, sir. Um, I'd like to just kind of answer that question with just a brief story first, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, the missionary Hudson Taylor, who went to uh, China in the 1800s, when he would go and visit churches, he would never ask for financial support. And I'm not necessarily advocating that, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> usually I get to just I'll, like, hey. I'll let our <laughs> church know you don't need support. <laughs> yeah, but no. But one thing that he he always sold the churches, and he said, you know, what I do ask of you is that you would send your, your young men and your young ladies, hmm. that they would be willing, that you would be willing to give them up to go to China and if you know the story of Hudson Taylor, God raised up an army to go mm-hmm. to that country and really revolutionized mm-hmm. it. And you know what I believe that God wants to use is God wants to use people. And the most impressionable people right now are children and young people because they're at mm-hmm. such a young age. Um, like what Brother Tony was saying, um, we had a missionary come to, to my church um, when I grew up. And I was just, I don't know, maybe eight years old. And he befriended me, and he showed me all this cool stuff. He began to talk to me in French and all this neat <laughs> things that just really stuck out in my mind as a kid. 
But the biggest thing that impacted me was not even that first meeting, but he began to write me letters and did it for a while. I don't even remember how long it was, but it was, I feel like it was a number of years. And he would write me letters back and forth from the foreign field. And God used that. And it wasn't that thing specifically, but he used that to begin to burden my heart for the continent of Africa. And shortly after that, God called me to be a missionary. Hmm. And I know that now I'm on the flip side Uh, The Lord's given me the opportunity to be a youth pastor and work with children in a Christian school. And so the Lord has shown me that there is such a great opportunity in the ministry of deputation to influence the upcoming generation. Um, I I recently heard a preacher um, talk about getting uh, children to pray for this people group that he was really burdened for. And so um, the Lord led me to start this thing. I've been calling it the Timothy Club. And so I've been recruiting, mm-hmm. uh, I've got these little wristbands that I've made called Pray for North Africa. And I've been giving them to children with this serious intent of asking them to pray and building up a prayer force. Um, you know, the area, the thing about the, these creative access countries that I love so much is the fact that it's not something that man can do. You know, mm-hmm. God has got to break through. Um, obviously, we know that's in any part of the world, but just especially in these areas where, you know, like you, you're not allowed in, you can't get openly proclaim, you know, you've got to see the work of God, the power of God in a special way. And so I've been asking God to raise up a, not only a host of laborers, but a host of prayer warriors yeah. um, that can get behind what the Lord is doing. And even just like what we were talking about yesterday, Brother, Brother Tony, you know, it's not just for the sac- sake of North Africa. You know, God wants to reach the whole world mm-hmm. through your Jerusalem. And I know you're really burdened for the, the far north. And uh, he was talking a little bit with me about their 1040 North project. And but it's I mean, it's all connected. You know, this is the Lord's work. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the awesome thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I appreciate just so much that heart. I really do, because it is a God does want to raise up laborers to go into even we would say the difficult parts of the world. And that we can rattle off so many statistics that show how this part of the world has the fewest laborers hmm. and and the fewest uh, least exposure to the gospel and so I appreciate your, your you taking up the call uh, God's put in your heart so let me ask you when you're on the ground what what is it like to have to minister to uh, a Muslim hmm. you know when there is the stereotype of what most people think of, of of Islamic people you know like they're all out to get us and <laughs> they're all angry people against America and all that well, I, I in Southeast Asia we have the largest percentage of Muslim population hmm. in the entire world. Uh, thank, thank you, Indonesia, that, <laughs> that helps us out a lot. But uh, it's not what people think often. So, what is it like to minister to a person over there in North Africa about with the gospel? How, how do you go about doing that? Oh, well, that's a really great question. Um, you know, obviously in America, when we think about trying to go evangelize or, or witness, we think of door knocking, we're thinking about passing out a track and that kind of thing. Well, because it is creative access, um, you know, doing things like that are against, uh, you know, against the law. So what do you have to do? Well, it goes back to, you know, what Christ said about just being a faithful witness. Um, so you've got uh, people that um, you meet on a regular basis. And, you know, it, it's funny because <laughs> that part of the world, people are very hospitable. And so you meet them once and like, oh, yeah, come to my house and I'll, and I'll feed you this big, you know, meal and stuff. And they'll, they'll stuff you so, until you're like, oh, and then you'll talk for, you know, until midnight and feed you coffee and mint tea and all kinds of stuff and things. And, 
And but through that, you're you're building a relationship for the purpose of the gospel. And obviously, you know, um, I believe in confrontational soul winning. You know, we ought to give the gospel to people. But I think that that's clothed in this different culture as far as you know, one on one personally presenting the gospel to people. Um, you know, there's a lot of similarities in the sense that if you ask a Muslim about uh, you know some of the people of the Bible, like they know who Abraham is, they know who Adam and Eve is, you know, or are. So they, they know, you know, a lot of the mainstream people of the Bible. In fact, a lot of people don't know that um, the, let's see, the Pentateuch, the Psalms, and the Gospel records are all considered holy books in Islam. That's a pretty amazing thing. And so there's a lot of common ground that God has given uh, for people to be able to share the gospel. And so I've talked with uh, several friends that are over there and ministering in that part of the world. And I think the greatest thing is to point people, again, as quickly as you can to Jesus Christ and using the scripture stories to point people to the Lamb of God that was come to be the sacrifice mm-hmm. for us. Um, and I think that's, you know, the best thing that we can do is to use those scripture stories to point uh, people to Christ. Now, let me ask you this. When over in the Middle East, obviously the term Allah is God. So Christians, do they, would they say more Yeshua or Yahweh, or do they, would a Christian call God like Allah as well, or do they use a different term in sense to create a different picture uh, and understanding of who God is? Yes. Um, well, the Arabic word for God is Allah, and so that's kind of a one of those catch-22 things. You're like, well, you know, there's not really another word, but... Uh, one of uh, my friends, he, he, he put it in a very good expression. He said, you know, because in, in, the, in the Middle East and North Africa, a Christian, the term Christian is more of a, a cultural identity in a sense. And so when he would introduce himself, he would say, well, I, my, my father was a Christian and I'm a Christian, but, I, but I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophet uh, Jesus Christ. And they were like, you're a Christian who follows Jesus? You know, <laughs> because in their mind, they equate Christian with the Western world or, you know, and, and, and all of Christendom. And so it, it is, this it has its different things. But uh, I think, you know, again, just lifting up the person of Christ, you know, and who he is uh, and distinguishing yourself as a follower of him, you know, because we serve a living God, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Christ isn't in the grave. Amen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Don't get me preaching, brother. <laughs> I'll start preaching right here. I brought my Bible. So. <laughs> uh, well, as you uh, have had opportunity to be in northern Africa mm-hmm. and worked with and, and got to meet some of those who are of the Muslim uh, faith or, or, or follow Islam, however you want to say that, I know there's going to be those who are militant. They're not going to be mm-hmm. receptive. But do you find that there are some who are receptive? When I was in um in Quebec, um, I found that in the Montreal area, some of the most receptive people <laughs> to speak about religious matters and the Bible and eventually the gospel were those who identified as Muslims, and and even far more than a, a, a lot of just uh, people who had been raised in Canada their whole lives. And uh, so I'm wondering, does that translate over into Northern Africa? Do you find that there is a good group of people who are receptive? Yes, sir. I, I would I would agree with that. Um, you know, one thing that came to mind when you were speaking is that the the nature of Islam teaches a very high reverence for God. 
Mm-hmm. And although, yes, it's not the same as far as what we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of the Bible, I think having an understanding and a respect for God, you can be leaps and bounds ahead versus someone who is an atheist or someone mm-hmm. who doesn't even believe in God. Mm-hmm. And so, and more so even nowadays, like I'm really praying that God will use COVID to kind of wake people up in the Middle East and North Africa mm-hmm. to help them see that the, the religion they've trusted, the, the works that they've trusted are just just superficial you know it's just a part of their culture and 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 i believe the lord is doing that um in fact i've talked with some um i was just listening to a missionary friend the other day and they said that they had more people that were muslims that came to christ this past year in 2020 than they've had in their whole ministry and i you know i believe the lord's doing something so certainly Mm -hmm. i think that's you know that they are receptive they're searching for the truth Mm. some countries in the middle east don't mind Christians, but just Christians don't con- try to convert other, hmm. you know, Islamic folks. So it's like you could be a Christian. That's fine, no problem. Be that, but keep it to yourself. Kind yes, of thing. yeah. So, do you have that kind of lingering? Would it be like a shadow that hovers over you of hmm. at any moment you could talk to the wrong person at the wrong time and they just don't like you and they can re- you know report you, or how do you, how do you live with that that idea that I could be here for really six months and I'm out <laughs> or I could be here for years and and the Lord just kind of keep me clandestine yes how do you how do you operate on that because that's something that not everyone has to has to worry about I'll be honest brother that's something that I've really struggled with God in prayer about trying to find the right balance between fear and faith you know um, in that part of the world um, it is easy to just be under this uh, oppression of fear uh, you can be afraid of anybody and everybody because, like you said, when we uh, took a trip to North Africa and one of the workers that was there, he said, you know, there's a lot of plain clothes uh, police officers. There's people who just you wouldn't even think that are working with the government. And so you could talk to the wrong person thinking they're sincere. Um, and they've had some of that before. But I think it goes back to the principle um, in the scriptures about having favor with God and with man. You know, Daniel in the Bible, uh, he was, you know, living in a heathen nation, and yet God brought him into great authority with the king. And that passed between two different nations. And I think one thing that uh, we need to pray, um, and if you're listening, I would encourage you to pray for those who are working in the 1040 window in creative access countries, that God would give his people favor in the Mm -hmm. eyes of these people, um, because we need the wisdom of God. Uh, That kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with recruiting the the prayer warriors. Um, I was just uh, speaking with another missionary friend recently about they were trying to smuggle Bibles into a certain part of the world, and they they had a police guard that was there, and some people were praying for them back in the States. And it was right at the right moment, and the police guard turned his head, another incident came up, and they were able to get through. And just only God can do things like that. And so I definitely... Um, it's one of those things that just reminds us that it's a spiritual battle. It's yeah. a spiritual warfare. Yeah. Thanks so much for spending this time with us on <laughs> on this podcast. There's a lot of a lot of questions that I would still like to have answered. I'm sure that uh, Stephen would as well. I think we have well. a whole list of questions and, we haven't gotten to yet. <laughs> but there's probably some pastors who are listening and have some questions as well. So what we will do is we will put Chase's uh, contact info in our show notes, if that's okay. Sure, yes, sir. Um, just uh, your email address, mm-hmm. and pastors could contact you that way. And a missionary and deputation, I imagine that you're available to answer these at a meeting as well. Yes. Yeah, yes, so yeah. maybe maybe a pastor listening would like to have Chase in, and uh, I would I would wholeheartedly 
recommend uh, Chase as a, a missionary worthy of your consideration to uh, present the ministry to your church. Sometimes when we when we have the missionaries in on the podcast, that's when I wish I was the pastor again because I'd be like, "Come on, let's have you in." <laughs> that's another one I want to support, and and so um, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Praise and um, pleasure. Thank you for those who are listening uh, for taking the time to spend this time uh, each and every week with us. We count it a privilege to meet with you like this. Uh, we look forward to next time. But until that time, have a great week in the Lord.